0: And happy Father's Day, all you fathers out there. Um, Since today is Father's Day, as Toby already explained a little bit, we're going to do a special message. We're going to take the break from the series that we are uh, normally doing. And we're going to jump around into quite a few different passages this morning as we take a look at how Scripture portrays fatherhood. And one of the verses that we're going to look at is found in uh, 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy write this letter to the Thessalonians. And they want them to know, how is it that they've cared for them? What is it like when they've been there? And so they use two different descriptions. One of them is, is how they've been like a mother to them. And the other one is how they've been like a father to them. And I just want to take a quick look at this. This is 1 Thessalonians, uh, verses 7 through 8 and 11 to 12. It says this, says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were, to share, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but are also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And then he goes on and talks about how, they, how like a father they've been. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. You know, when we think of fathers, we have many different views. Because no two fathers are alike. They're kind of like snowflakes. Each one of them is unique. Don't tell my dad I called him a snowflake. He might take offense, but... <laughs> But the point is, everyone is different. Every single father is different. Every fatherhood experience that we've had is different from what everyone else has. There is no one father figure, so, or one specific father, right? Some of you have had fathers who were kind, who were compassionate, who were loving, who were caring, who were there for all of your games, who was there when you just needed to talk. Other views have had fathers who weren't there. Or when your father was there, he wasn't there, and he had no time at all. And some fathers were short-tempered. They were dominating, and they were someone to be feared. See, the view that we have of our father is painted with the colors of our childhood. And for some of us, those colors were painted with watercolors, and they faded over time. For others, they were pointed in oil, And they're they're as bright and as vibrant and as vivid as the day that when we were a child. For others, they're etched in stone, and they will never, ever fade. And they will endure with us for the rest of our lives. But so whenever we hear this word Father, we have a picture. We see this in our mind of what our Father is. And then, God calls himself our Father. And so we view that through the lens through the picture that we've already painted of our own father. And it has this influence on us. And so today we want to look at what Scripture says a father should be. And then we want to take a moment and look at God as our father. And we're going to break this down into three different sections. The first section we're going to look at is, what should a father do, and what should a not father, and what should a father not do? The second, how do we relate to our fathers? And then finally, what is God like? as a father so let me pray uh, before we jump in here father god we come before you lord and we look at you as a father and our fathers lord we know have been some of the most influential people of our entire lives and indeed their influence cannot be erased and it cannot be changed lord although we know that you heal in those places that need to be healed, Lord. And you restore in those places that need to be restored. And Lord, you give further joy and further hope and further love in those places that faith, hope, and love already exist, Lord. But we just realize that our fathers have made this influence, and it will affect the way we look at you as a father. So this morning, Lord, as we look at a father's duty and we look at you, we pray that you'll be with us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us, Lord. And especially for those who find this subject tender to look at. And we pray especially for those this morning, Lord, that you might comfort and uh, bring them hope, Lord. In your precious and your holy name we pray, amen. So, what are fathers supposed to do, right? There's many things that fathers should do, and most of them are the same things that all of us should do, right? It's what the Bible is all about. The Bible tells us to do these things, right? It's how we live as Christians. It's how we lead holy lives. It's how we walk our day-to-day out. But on top of that, Scripture gives us several specific things that say fathers do this. And so I just want to take a moment and just kind of look at one of those things. The first one is that fathers should evangelize. Fathers should evangelize their children. Psalm 78 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, and the children yet on board, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but to keep his commandments. So even if your child is raised in a Christian home, and even if your child has Christian parents and Christian brothers and Christian sisters it does not mean that they are a Christian. And neither does it mean that they will become a Christian. For each person decides on their own, as they grow up, whether they will follow God, or whether they will follow or whether they will or, <laughs> I'm sorry again, whether they will follow or whether they won't follow. right? And then each person decides that on his own. So just because they're in a Christian home does not necessarily mean that they will become Christians. And so God tells us to reach out to our children, to tell them about God, to tell them about Jesus Christ, to tell them what they did, so that they too might be saved. Next, he tells us to instruct our children. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, fathers, bring them up, meaning children, um, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fathers, take the time to teach your children. Take the time to instruct your children on the things of God and how they walk out the Christian life. Don't worry about trying to make it formal. Don't worry about having the perfect family devotions all the time with a you know, perfect you know, lesson ready to go, and the perfect kids ready to listen and to engage. This passage isn't saying that. This passage is saying, look, when you get up, when you walk, when you sit, when you're, when you're uh, just hanging out, it's to be your way of life. It's to be the way the home is, is that the home just naturally does that. This is what he's talking about, just that your home becomes these little times and these little moments where you can teach your children. And this is what that passage is talking about. And now, discipline is the next thing. So notice that God ties discipline in with instruction. Did you notice that in that verse that we read? let me read it again. It says, Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, see, these two things go together because they serve a purpose, a common purpose, the same same goal. See, the goal is to train our children. The goal is to train your children. And discipline isn't to punish them for doing wrong. It's not to get even. It's not to get revenge at all, right? But it's to help them to grow it's to help them instruct and they walk together discipline and instruction listen to hebrews 12 chapter 9 he says besides this we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, discipline is for our good. It's so that we may have the full, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's so that we may be trained. And just think of the difference that that makes when we talk about discipline and we're disciplining our children and think about the difference of the attitude that it has because this is what our goal is is that we train up our children so that they can share in god's holiness so that they can have that peaceful fruit of righteousness and that is the purpose for that so next and again i'm just going through these kind of quick because it's all the bible and it's these specific ones that he goes through but next he says this we're to exhort encourage and charge our children to walk in a manner worthy of god now this is the passage that we began with right here and see here's what he's saying he's saying that we need to to encourage right to exhort to charge our children to walk in a manner worthy of god he just got done telling us to instruct and to discipline so they do that there's a difference there right because we can teach our children about god and they can learn everything, and they can learn to say the right things, and they can learn to say it at the right time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're walking with God, right? They can know all the answers. Any question you can ask them, they can say it. But are they walking with God? So it's kind of like, if I want to eat healthy, and if I want to live, and I want to, as much as possible, you know, lead that healthy life into old age, I can tell you all the answers. I know exactly what I have to do. If you ask me what do I need to do, I'll say I need to eat vegetables, I need to eat fruit, I need to eat, you know, protein. I can tell you what I shouldn't do. I shouldn't be going to, you know, McDonald's and Burger King's and Five Guys every day for lunch, right? I know all those things, but what am I doing? Where am I eating my lunch at? And so it's the same way with here. They can know every single thing and answer every single answer, but are they walking with the Lord? And so the Apostle Paul says, you To encourage your children, to charge them, to exhort them. The NIV uses the word encouraging and comforting and urging. It is to urge. It's not enough just to know. We want our children to walk walk with the Lord. Um, The other thing is words. And this isn't specifically fathers, but I was just thinking about it while either Toby or Paul was uh, speaking this morning. Um, But just the impact of words. And Ephesians says this. Um, And I'm actually going to give you the don't and the do at the same time. Um, But he says this. It says, um, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you, along with all malice. So one thing, too, is that, Fathers, your words carry so much weight it is unbelievable how much weight your words carry. And Paul is telling us to watch that, to let no corrupting talk come out, only what builds up, only what gives grace. And I would even add to that, it's not only the words you use, but it's your whole expression, your whole demeanor, the whole non-body language. Um, Toby was talking about Friday night, and, and we had the... Um, um, Coffee house, thank you. <laughs> I knew there was a word for it. <laughs> um, and uh, so we had the coffee house. And some of the youth came up. And Mickey and I were sitting in the back. And we were watching the parents as they watched the children. So Mickey and I sat right here. And uh, <laughs> the Trudeau sat right here. And we watched these guys as they were watching the girls up there singing. they were like this, just absolutely mesmerized like that. We saw Sarah King, I don't know if she's here or not, but you ever see those, those pictures of like, of like, the babies who are like napping, and they're just like totally sweet contentment, and there seems to be a glow around their face? This is what Sarah looked like um, when... Oh, um, um, Thank you, thank you. And it's funny, because I know exactly what Lizzie's name is, because li- Lizzie had her ukulele out. And I don't know if she's here or not, I don't have my glasses on, but, but Lizzie was playing... Oh, is she here? Oh, she must be... All right. So anyway, I still can't see her. I need my glasses. So here's the deal. Lizzie was playing. She had her violin out. No, ukulele out. Why? Well, I'm, I'm losing it here. <laughs> she had a ukulele out. She was playing somewhere over the rainbow. There's a Hawaiian guy who weighs like 600 pounds named Izzy, and he did that song with the ukulele and really made it famous. So we're watching it. I turn on to Mick and I'm like, look, Lizzie's singing Izzy. <laughs> so anyway, the whole point was... I diverged, sorry about that. The whole point was Sarah looked like that picture with the glow and with, uh, with, uh, with just that smile on it. It was just something to see. If your child sees that, it is absolutely amazing. You can do more with a facial feature or something like that than all the words that you can come up with because they know, they know and they see and that goes right to the heart finally i'll say this too um god has called us to love our children jesus is praying to the father um, and he says this he says "O righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these know that you have sent me i made them i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known and listen what he says That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, may be in them, and I in them. Jesus Christ is trying, is praying to the Father. Picture that. Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the Father of God, and looking at the love that the Father had to him, and he's praying that we might have that as well. Isn't that an amazing thing? And we are called to love our children. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. 1 Corinthians 13 says we can have everything, but if we don't have love, we don't have anything. And certainly that applies to fathers and children. So, that's what fathers should do. What should fathers not do? Right? There's many things that fathers shouldn't do. Again, they're the same thing that everyone shouldn't do. They're the things that are um, found in the Scripture. It's how we live as Christians. It's how we lead holy lives. But Scripture, again, adds to these and gives something specific for fathers to not do. And that is, do not provoke your children. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3.21 says fathers do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Why does he say two things? Why does he say fathers don't provoke your children to anger or don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged? Because people are different. And when children are provoked, some will be provoked to anger. That same thing that provokes one to anger will provoke another to discouragement. Those same words, those same um, nonverbal language, those same cues, some kids will react in anger. Other kids will be will be crushed. It will um, just be discouraged. And so even think about yourself, right? If something happens to you in this way, what's your natural reaction? Is it anger or is it discouragement? Because most likely you're gonna have one of those two things. Doesn't mean to say that you or your children will always only be angry or always and only be discouraged, right? Because sometimes the discouraged child becomes the angry child, and sometimes the anger one becomes the discouragement, right? Anger can turn into discouragement. Discouragement can be turned into anger. What's Paul's point? Do not provoke your children. Now, he just got talking about discipline and about instruction, right? And how that there is a way to do this. And now he says, don't provoke your children. So there has to be a way to do those things without provoking your children. And again, that's having that goal. The goal is to train the child. So what are some of the ways that we do provoke our children? There's an endless number of ways that we can provoke your child. Think about when you were a child. What was it that provoked you? Think about it now. What are the things that happen that just, that just irk you and just get you down that road, right? Right? If you don't know and you're married, you can ask your spouse. They'll probably tell you. Um, If not, you can ask the child. You can ask the child. You can read the body language of the child. You can see these things. You can talk to your child. Find out, when do they feel they're provoked? Because we always feel provocation. And we can provoke our children by what we do, and we can also provoke our children by what we don't do. And so, if we're always critical, if our child can never do enough, if our child can never do it right, if they can never be good enough, you are provoking your child. Or if you're at home and you're ignoring your child. Not that they need 100% attention, but if your child comes up to you and they're telling you um, about some game that they just got done playing or a story that they read or something that happened to one of their friends and you just kind of, you know, mumble and keep looking at your phone or at your computer or at the book you're reading and you don't take the time to stop, that will provoke the child. Because what does the child feel like when they come up to you and they're exciting and they're ready to share it with you and you don't do anything, no response at all. Some of them will get angry, dad doesn't even care. Some of them will get discouraged, dad doesn't even care. But it's that same thing, because you can provoke your child by what you do and by what you don't do. There's a unique situation that I just want to spend a minute on, and that has to do with um, children who are growing older, who are teens and who are in their 20s, and who are transitioning from childhood to adulthood, and they're still living at home, going to school, uh, working, getting ready to go, whatever the reason is that they're still here. This is one of those delicate situations where it's easy to provoke your child in there. Because if you continue to treat your um, young adult as a child, right, the way you would treat a child, um, it's gonna provoke them. Because we need to change our parenting as our child gets older, right? They're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. and we stop directing every single thing that we do, and we start encouraging them in that independence. And we start encouraging them in that freedom that goes, that goes through. See, this is, this is a difficult thing to do, because we start out and we tell our children everything. And we manage them, and we manage everything. This is especially um, difficult if you're a homeschooled parent. Because if you're a homeschooled parent, you direct... Pretty much the entire the child's entire life, and you always have, because you're responsible for the school. You're responsible for everything that goes on. So from the time that they get up, in one sense, you even have a huge influence on the friends that they have. Not because you're like picking and choosing the friends, but who are they hanging out with? Probably other homeschool kids, maybe uh, a co-op or whatever. But the point is, is that you have this control and you've always had this control and it's the way it is. And when it comes to school, you need to maintain that school control. So it gets, it gets tough in that giving them independence and giving them responsibilities, encouraging, encouraging them in their freedoms and growing up so that when they leave the house, they are ready to go. Um, and you cannot make that transition without not being aware that you need to make that transition. And they cannot become independent if you are micromanaging them all the time. This is one of the ways that we can provoke um, our children. So again, those were just a few ways. There's you know, thousands and thousands of ways that we can do it, right? Think about your own self in a daily week. How many times are you, you know, irritated by something? Um, for me, it's usually once I get on the road and I start driving. <laughs> Mickey will test to that, right? But there's just so many different ways. So what we want to do is we want to move on from there. And we want to ask the question, let's say you're here this morning and you're a father and you did the don't and you didn't do the do. In other words, you did everything wrong. Um, Maybe not everything wrong, but there's, there's places that you can say, I should have done that and I didn't. And I didn't do that when I should have. What do you do? First of all, we go to God. We have a kind, compassionate, forgiving God. And we confess our sins. And we ask God to forgive it. Psalm 38, verses 18 says this, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. And then 1 John 1, 9 is the promise from God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go to God and we confess our iniquity. We are sorry for our sins. And we ask for that forgiveness. When it comes to the child, we ask the child for their um, forgiveness as well. James five sixteen says, "Therefore confess your sins one to another." What does that look like? It's going to look different based on the age of the child. If I'm confessing my sin to a five year old, it's different than I'm confessing my sin to a fifteen year old, based on their understanding. But a five year old, we can still apologize. And a 15-year-old, we can do a lot more explaining what happened, what was going through our minds, everything else like that. But the thing that still comes down to it is we confess our iniquity. We are sorry for our sins. And after that, we begin to do the things that we should do. And we begin to stop doing the things that we shouldn't do. And I would say begin with love and compassion. Share not only the gospel, but your very own selves. Make those children very dear to you, and then move on to the rest. So, next question becomes, that was section one, fathers. Next is, how do we relate to our fathers and themselves, right? How do we relate to them as children? How do we relate to them as adults? How do we relate to them if they weren't good fathers as well? So, children, first of all, God tells you to obey and to honor your parents, both your father and your mother, Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. God has said, obey your parents, and it will go well with you. Think about it. If you disobey, does it go well? If you obey, does it go well? Right? Those are kind of, Practical things as well. But more than that, think about this, right? Um, If you obey your parents, you are glorifying God. And you are imitating Jesus Christ. Um, Listen to what Jesus said. Once again in this prayer, Jesus prays in John 17 to the Father. And we already looked at one part of that. But he says this. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. God the Father gave Jesus' Son work to do. And Jesus obeyed him. And he did this work. And he glorified the Father because of it. It is one of the ways that he glorified the Father. And so when children, as you obey your parents, you are like Jesus. And you are glorifying God the Father. Um, young adults currently living at home, how does God call you to relate to your Father? We already kind of talked about this time in life, this transition time from the parent's role. Let's look at it real quickly from the young adult's role. right? Um, Ephesians 6.2 says, Honor your father and mother. So one question, is this easy or hard? Think back to this past year, what's happened over this past year. Has it gotten easier or has it gotten harder? See, God has put a desire inside of you inside of your heart, for independence. It is there from God. It is right and it is good, this desire for independence. First Corinthians thirteen eleven says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. Genesis 2, 4 says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Both the man and the woman leave the house. They become independent. They start their own new house. So you are to leave your parents' house one day. More and more, because God has put this desire in you, the older you get, the stronger that desire becomes. And it's right, because you should be independent. And so more and more, you want to make your own decisions. You want to make your own schedules. You want to make your own lives. But you're just not at that place yet where you can do it completely. So there's this tension that will occur in your heart as you go through. This tension that I don't want to be here or I want to be independent. I want to do my own. I don't want to live under these rules anymore. There's that tension in there, but I'm still here. I need to do it. So how do you walk through that? We walk through that tension the same we walk through any other other tension. Because it's a temptation to do things our own way. It's a temptation to sin in these areas. It's a temptation to... um, To be selfish in this area because these god-given gifts become this temptation we have this temptation with sin we have this no matter what your age is there will always be a temptation for sin in this time of your life this will be one of the places that you're tempted as well so we do the same things that we always do right when we find ourselves sitting in this area we come before god and we confess god we go to our parents and we say these things and we try to have open conversations with our parents and say, this is what's going on. This is where um, this tension is happening. And so we go through these um, ways as well. So, again, it's temptation to sin that is in all other areas. It's just we can de- kind of define it this way at this time as you walk through it. So, what are some practical things just going through this? Um, you know, there's, again, there's so many different ways, because the command is to honor your parents. The command is to love your parents. What does that look like? Can we come up with three ways that have to be done? No. There are thousands of different ways that we can do it. And so we can't even begin to scratch them. But just a couple of ways um, that I can think about, just a couple suggestions. And number one is respect. It's one of the ways that you can honor and love your parents is to show them respect. I'm not talking about, like, calling him sir or ma'am or, you know, doing anything, you know, formal like that. But it's a respect that's common respect that you would give to anybody else, any other friend, anybody else that's living outside of your house. So if you're going out for the night, let him know the details. Now, that doesn't mean, at, you know, 702 we're going to be here and 803 we're going to be here, but just a general idea. It's like, hey, we're going to go out to movies. We'll probably, you know, maybe, like, go out maybe for ice cream afterwards. We'll probably be home between this time and this time somewhere in there. I mean, you might not even know yourself what you're gonna do, but you have kind of a general idea. And let them know what those details are. And if you can't make it, make a quick call. So if you say I'm gonna be home between this time and this time, and you're not gonna be there, make a quick call, send them a quick text, right? It's the same courtesy and the same respect that you would do with your friends. If you're gonna see the movie at 7.30 and tell your friend, hey, I'll pick you up at seven o'clock, Something comes up, you can't pick him up at 7 o'clock, what are you going to do? You're going to call and let him know, I can't be there at 7. Maybe I can meet you at the theater itself at 7.30 and we can get the tickets and, and go in. But it's the same common courtesy. Another suggestion is to help out around the house, to work around the house. Um, and I heard uh, one speaker say this um, if you want adult privileges, you need to have adult responsibilities. And so um, perhaps a term or a sound that grates on your nerves, but the reality is it's, it's pretty much true, right? If we want to be treated in one way, we need to act in that way. And so if you're not willing to you know, live up to those responsibilities, no one's gonna happily give you the freedom or the privileges that go along with those things. And so again, just one of those suggestions to um, work around the house. But but here's the whole here's the whole point in this. It's a difficult time. It's filled with tension. It's filled with temptation. But we need to walk through that, and you need to ask yourself, how am I going to walk through this? And you need to think about it, and just going kind to of be aware of how it's walking through. So I'll have to say, moving on from there. What if you're an adult, how do you relate to your parents now? Um, Because we're still called to honor our parents, right? We're not called to obey our parents at this point. We're still called to honor them. Once again, how can you do this? How many stars are in the sky, right? That's so many different ways you can do it. I mean, you know, for some it might be a call. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a visit. Maybe you take them out to dinner. Maybe you take them out to the doctor. But the point is, is that we still honor our parents, even when we move out of the house. For some of us, this will be easy. It will come natural. We've had wonderful relationships. The whole time, our relationship has been great. Um, For some of us, it's gonna be difficult. For some of us, it might appear to be impossible to do this because some of us have had fathers who weren't good fathers. And some of us have come from these very, very difficult situations and so I just want to spend a minute or so looking at this. One verse that I really, really love is 1 Peter, chapter one, verse eighteen. And the apostle Paul is talking to, or actually Peter, I guess, is Peter is talking to these people who uh, they're the um, dispersed, the exiles, and so they're gone. They've been forced to leave. And he uses the frame that rans- the phrase, "You're ransomed the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers." Now, here he's talking about this religious system that they had and everything else, but as you look at that, it also applies to us individually as people. Because listen to what he's saying. He says, "Know that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that the faith and hope are in God. No matter what your childhood was like, no matter what your father was like, God the Father has ransomed you from that. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is what has saved you. We look at the impact that a father has. We look at the impact that a bad father has, and sometimes it seems insurmountable, but it isn't. You were ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it was uh, he that did that. So between some of you, there might be harsh feelings. Many things between your father. And... There might be this barrier and this break where you just don't talk to them. Or when you do, it's just such a difficult, difficult situation to be in. Scripture tells us to forgive. It says, Colossians 3.13 says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. We hold things against our fathers, especially when they're bad, and we don't want to forgive them. And we want to hang on to those things, and we don't want to get rid of them. And yet God commands us to forgive them. Now, if they would confess their sins, it would be easier to forgive them. If they would say what they did, it would be easier to do it, and we might be able to do it. But for some, they never do confess their sins. For some, they never do ask for forgiveness. some, they never do say, I'm sorry. And yet God calls us to forgive their sins. How do we do that? We forgive them in our heart. We forgive them in our heart. When Jesus Christ was being crucified, when he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. If they didn't know what they were doing, surely they didn't ask for forgiveness, right? This forgiveness might be It might seem like more than what you can do. Go before God on your knees and cry out to him. Ask him to give you the ability to forgive them in your heart. And then honor them in a way that you're able to honor them. I don't know what this looks like for you. Every situation is different. But God has called us to do that. And it doesn't mean giving them a mug that says the world's greatest dad at all. But it means in our heart. What is it that we do in our heart? For some of us, we haven't seen our fathers in years, and it's unlikely that we're going to see our fathers. For others, our fathers have passed away, and there was no forgiveness, and there was no restitution before they go. Once again, this is something that we do, we can do in our heart. And we ask God, we come before God, and we ask for that healing that He promises. He has promised to heal us, He has promised to heal our hearts. And to change our hearts, and we come before Him. You know, for some of us, we might be the cause of that. So we've looked at the Father, the cause of that. For some of us, that breaking down in that relationship might be our cause. In that case, we need to examine ourselves. What is it that we need to do? And what is asking forgiveness looks like for them? And then in that relationship too, um, we're called to live at peace if it's at all possible. Listen to Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. This is such a powerful passage. I'm not really going to comment on it. I'm going to read it slow and just think about these things and think about in that relationship, that um, kind of that broken relationship there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I knew a woman had a very difficult childhood, and she was afraid of her father. The man was in his late 90s. He was wheelchair bound and he was living in a nursing home. She lived in a different state. She came to that state to visit some families. And one of the people of the family said, hey, do you want to go see him? He's in the hospital. And she was visibly shaken and she was afraid and she was terrified to go to the nursing home. He said to her, he's in his 90s. He's in a wheelchair, there's nothing he can possibly do. And yet this woman still would not go. She was still terrified of him after all of these years. What does it mean for that woman to forgive? What does it mean for that woman to honor her father who has now passed away since this event? If he was still living, it might be that she prays for him. That she forgives him. That she could live at peace with him. That she comes before God. See, God can restore. God can heal. God can take this woman and he can restore and he can heal. And he can change her heart so that she can forgive. Because it's something she can do? No, because Jesus Christ has forgiven her. Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the love that the Father has for her poured into her heart. That's how she's able to do it. It's not because of anything she can do, but it's from what God the Father can too. So, it seems like the last couple sections that we've talked about, I end up like starting out here. Oh, this is great! This is great! This is great! And it ends up down here. This is great! This is great! And it ends up down here. This is great! This is great! And it ends up down here. This one's not going to do that. We're not going to be depressed after <laughs> after listening to this section. Why? Because we're talking about what is God like a father, right? God isn't like the father who's in a wheelchair in a nursing home, still terrorizing his children, right? Because God did all of the things that a father should do. God does all the things that the father should do, right? God evangelizes us. God instructs us. He disciplines us. He exhorts us. He encourages us. He comforts us. He doesn't do any of the things that the father shouldn't do. He's not impatient. He's not harsh. Um, He's not any of those things that the other ones are. So let's look at what God is like. Let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, right? The bad father is, is quick to anger. God is slow to anger. God is abounding, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not normally keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Let me say that last part once more. As a father shows compassion to his children, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He is compassionate and He is combined. He knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust. What does that mean? It means He knows your weaknesses. He's gentle. He's kind. A bruised reed He will not break. A faintly burning wick He will not quench. He will not break you the bruise, reed he will not he will not quench that faintly burning wick he loves you this is the father he will not provoke you to anger he will not provoke you to discouragement but he knows your frame right that's the error that the fathers make they don't always consider the child and they don't know the frame like the father does. And they come up to that edge, and they come up, and they push over, and they provoke the child to discouragement. They provoke it to child. And here it is saying, he knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust. He has compassion on you, like that father who has compassion for his child. And he loves you. He sent his son for you. So final thoughts for fathers. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and abound in love. For us as we look to our fathers, honor them in any way that you are able to. Forgive them and love them. And as we look to God, right? Our fathers did the best that they could do. But they were sinners, and they made a mistake. God is greater than all of our fathers. He is greater than all of our sin. He can restore, and He can heal, because He is compassionate, loving, and kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is gracious and merciful. He is the true Father who cares for us, who instructs us, who disciplines us, who knows um, how weak we are, who knows our frame. And He loves us. Let me pray as the band comes up. Father God, we come before You, Lord, a Lord who is kind, a Lord who is compassionate, a Lord who knows us. Lord, we wish so often that those around us knew us and knew our limitations and knew our frame. Lord, so often we wish that our fathers know that or our fathers had known that. And Lord, You tell us that You know that. You are God of compassion and love. So Father, I just thank You for the fathers that You have given us, or the role that they have played, the way that they have um, supported us and brought us up financially and in so many different ways, Lord. And I do pray for all the fathers here that they might become like You, Lord, that they might know You and live like You and raise their children and seek to find to know their frame, their weaknesses, what pushes them over, what provokes them. And I pray that you will help them to be kind and compassionate and to use language that builds up, to use body language that builds up, Lord, that they might um, love each other. Let them settle for nothing but love. And so I pray, too, for us who have come out of difficult uh, situations. I pray for your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you might comfort, that you might heal, that you might restore, that you might rebuild. And, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you are the ultimate Father. And I thank you, Lord, that when we see a picture of you in heaven, the first thing we see you doing is wiping away our tears. You're a God of compassion. And when we reach heaven, you will wipe away our tears. Because you are our Father. And we thank You. In Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.